You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show, our first show of 2019. And uh, I hope you all had a good Christmas and a uh, good New Year. Uh, my name is Keith Budden. I'm the host for your p- program. And as always, I'd like to start with a shout out to our new listeners that we have listening to the GDPR Weekly Show. And since our last episode, we have new listeners from London, Ipswich, Portsmouth, Derby, Guildford, Doncaster, Birmingham, Coventry, Nottingham, Reading, Leeds, Sheffield, Southampton, Leicester, Durham, Manchester, Norwich, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Derby, Liverpool, Wigan, Harrow, Darlington, Warrington, Milton Keynes, Enfield, Edinburgh, Dudley, Luton and Ipswich. And we also have new listeners in the Almerstad area in the Netherlands, in Rome, in Italy, in Riga, in Latvia, across the country in Slovenia, in Debrecen, in Hungary, in Kalmar, in Sweden, in Fribourg, in Switzerland, in Perth, in Australia, in Alagoas, in Brazil, and in Florida and in Washington, in the USA. So, right across the world, great news set of listeners. Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show. As always, really appreciate you listening, and of course, I really appreciate the uh, over 600 listeners we have listening every week from right around the world, our regular listeners, and I hope that GDPR Weekly Show continues to be as good a listen for you in 2019 as it was in 2018. I look forward to uh, you listening every week. I really appreciate you taking 30 minutes out of your week to catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And uh, I, if you have any comments, please do send them to by email to me at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Uh, I do read every single comment that you send in, and it's great to have the comments from you. If you have any ideas about things you'd like me to cover in future episodes, then please do let me know by email. And uh, I do read all the emails, though I don't have time to actually necessarily respond to them all, but I do read every single one, and I know that every single one is appreciated, so thank you very much for sending that in. And in a few moments, I'll tell you what's coming up in this first episode of the GDPR Weekly Show for 2019. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we start with uh, some congratulations to Elizabeth Denham and others at the Information Commissioner's Office for receiving awards in the New Year's Honours list. We then look at a countdown of the top 10 passwords in use in 2018. We then move on to um, look at GDPR six months in and where we are as we start 2019. What's, what's changed since the 2018 before GDPR came in? What's new? What's happening? What's gone to plan? What's not gone to plan? Uh, so we have all of that. Then we have um, an update on Marriott Hotels and their very large data breach and what's happening there. Then we have a update on 
um, whether GPs can charge for requests for patient information. And finally, for this week, we end with a look at some information on data breaches in local authorities across Suffolk. So once again, a packed episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. We're pleased to begin 2019 being able to congratulate uh, two prominent members of staff at the Information Commissioner's Office on receiving their honours in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. Um, The Information Commissioner herself, Canadian Elizabeth Denham, has been awarded a CBE in the New Year's Honours list. Um, Elizabeth Denham took the job as ICO in April 2016 and uh, has been at the forefront of the development of GDPR and its implementation through to the start of GDPR on the 25th of May 2018. And she's also been responsible for seeing a massive increase in the number of staff employed by the ICO, which has now increased by some 200 people, larger than it was when uh, Elizabeth took over at the ICO. And the other appointment within the ICO to be recognised in the New Year's Honours list is a recently appointed member of staff, um, Theo Blackwell, who's been appointed as Chief Digital Officer for London. Uh, He receives an MBE for his services to local government. And the Scottish Government also there are a CIO, Chief Information Officer, and Moses was awarded an OBE for services to digital development. So it's nice to see people within the GDPR community being rewarded for their public service and uh, we extend our congratulations to all the recipients. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So we start with a countdown of the top 10 passwords for 2018. And unchanged at number 10, it's I Love You. Down 5 at number 9 is Quirky. A new entry at number 8, Sunshine. Up one at number seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. A new entry at number six. One, 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 one. Unchanged at number five. One, two, three, four, five. Down one at number four. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Up three at number three. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Unchanged at number two. It's password. And unchanged 
yet again since 2016 at number one. It's your steady household favourite. One, two, three, four, five, six. There is a nod across the pond as a sneaky new entry at number 23 is Donald. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So there you go with the uh, top 10 passwords. And obviously we'd recommend that if you're using any one of those passwords, uh, you look to change it because uh, they're obviously going to be the ones that any potential hacker is likely to try first. So if you're using one of those passwords we just mentioned, Perhaps one of the things you've made as one of your New Year's resolutions is to uh, change that password. But we thought we'd move on now to look at where we are with GDPR now at the start of 2019. What's happened? What's gone according to plan? What hasn't gone according to plan? What's causing problems? Well, it was at the, at the nucleus at the core of GDPR were the concepts of transparency and accountability that people became more aware of what data was being held on them and that companies and organisations were being held to be more accountable with what they did with that data and how they stored that data and how they kept it securely. And I think that motion, the, the idea of transparency and accountability, has actually been working quite well. Um, there's still some confusion over whether a uh, privacy policy should be called a privacy policy, a privacy notice or a data protection statement. Frankly, they're all much of a muchness. Um, and there's even arguments to say they should be called transparency statements. But um, most websites now do have a good privacy policy, not all, but most. And where there's a need to tighten them up, then no doubt that will come in the fullness of time. And we are always quite happy, of course, to review your privacy policy for you and advise you on any changes that you need to make. And if you'd like us to do that, please get in touch with us um, at Insurity or by our email at podcast.insurity.co.uk and we'd be delighted to check your privacy statements over for you. But your privacy policy, it seems to be working. And people are aware of that. People are aware now of the need to keep data private. And people are aware of what organisations hold about them a bit more. And certainly they're more aware of what they can do to ask for that data, either to view that data or to have that data corrected or, if appropriate, to have that data deleted. And so the second part of GDPR, though, which was to give people more rights over their data, again, that seems to now have settled down quite well. Um... There was fears, I think, before GDPR came in that the floodgates would open and that suddenly companies and organisations would find themselves inundated with data subject requests. And whilst it's true that data subject requests have increased, and indeed in the next article on this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we'll look at some particular examples. Um, whilst it's true that it has increased, and whilst it's true that's increased workload in some areas, and has increased costs because the old laws used to allow you to charge £10 to provide the information, whereas you now can't charge anything unless the request is either vexatious or too frequent. 
Um, but the actual deluge, the tidal wave of requests, once it got the initial surge after the 25th of May out of the way, um, seems to have largely died down. The exception to that is probably public sector organisations where people do feel more that they, they have a right, they have a right, of course, even for private sector organisations, but they seem to be more taking up their right with public sector organisations like local authorities to actually request information. But even there, I think it's fair to say that the, in our experience anyway, the number of requests has settled down to a steady stream rather than being a tsunami. Um, it's certainly not a drip, drip, drip trickle that it used to be in the days of the old data protection. Act, that's for sure. There's more of a flow, there's more of a requirement, there's more of a need, there's more volume. But it's not a volume that, in most cases, is unmanageable. And the part of that, I think, is that, as well, systems have started to be developed to make it easier to respond to requests. Now, it's possible that in January we could see an upsurge in the number of requests across the board as people suddenly start realising that they've had the Christmas holidays to clear out their email inbox and they found all these emails asking for permission to either keep the data or not keep the data and they want to check whether you've actually actioned their consent or or not. But volume and right seems to be okay. Data security. Has the introduction of GDPR increased data security? I think it probably has, and I think it, that's all good. It's introduced, certainly increased awareness of data security. I think more people are aware now of the need to keep data secure. There's still things which people don't get. It still irritates me the number of organisations I find who are using address books or um, visitors books that just have far too much information in them. And we've had a recent thing which broke just before Christmas and we're, we're waiting for some guidance on in terms of sponsorship forms. So there's things that are still fighting their way through the, through the net. But overall, I think most people now understand security and data security has got better. It's not perfect, but it's got better. And that's something we're working with all of our clients this year to make it even better so that they can be sure that their data is as secure as it possibly can be. And then we turn to penalties. And whilst there's no doubt that penalties have substantially increased on what they used to be under the old Data Protection Act, um, you know, we've now seen penalties in the range of half a million pounds plus, which would have been unheard of um, prior to May 2018. So penalties are certainly higher. But that said as well, I think that generally amongst practitioners such as ourselves, we would say that we're finding that the ICO is becoming a reasonable regulator. They're more focused on putting right what's gone wrong than engaging in finding companies just for the sake of it. Now, it doesn't mean you can't do nothing, because if you do nothing, by God, the ICO are going to find you. Um... But again, I think there's been that realisation that there's no point trying to get blood out of a stone. There's no point finding a company so much that it puts the company out of business and puts people to be unemployed. Um, and so it's finding that happy medium. And I think, I don't think we're there yet. 
I think some people will still see fines going up. But I'd like to think that by the end of this year, by the end of 2019, we will have got to a regime where fines have settled into a reasonable band. And also for practitioners like ourselves, advising companies like yourselves, um, we'll be able to be far more forthright in that advice because we will have some good case law to go on to base what your likely penalty is going to be. And of course, we hope that if you work with us well, and you follow everything that we do, then you shouldn't ever find yourself in a situation of having a GDPR penalty imposed by the ICO on you anyway. That's part of our reason for being, of course. And uh, I hope that you've all had a chance to look through the um, 2019 um, GDPR planner, which we put out with last our last episode of the GDPR Weekly Show in 2018. Um, if you haven't got it, if you look on LinkedIn, if you got this episode of the weekly show from LinkedIn, then you'll find a link there to in the second comment of the post about this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show um, to enable you to download that checklist. But any questions, please always do just drop us a line at podcasts at insurity.co.uk. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An update for you on the Marriott uh, Hotels data breach, which we reported to you in uh, an episode of GDPR Weekly just before Christmas. Uh, Marriott Hotels have now carried out some more investigation into the data breach and they realised that the data breach did contain unencrypted passport numbers for the guests who had stayed with them. So it means that the whoever now has this data, if you stayed at a Marriott Hotel, they not only know your name and address, but they know your passport number as well. Um, there is widespread suspicion now that the Marriott data breach was so large that it's likely to be in the state-sponsored data breach. And there are rumours circulating that it's either Russia or China who have sponsored this uh, data breach and given them access to millions of passport numbers and people's information. And uh, we wait and see what the ICO will make of this latest information from Marriott and what penalty they will look to serve on Marriott in due course. But it did get us thinking on a wider front of why do hotels need to store your passport number? So we spoke to a couple of hotel chains and the response we got was that in a number of countries, including within the EU, it's actually local laws that they have to record guests' passport number. But they also pointed out that storing the passport number meant that they could check whether you had any previous unpaid bills with that hotel chain or you'd had bad behaviour in another of their uh, establishments or there may be some other reason why they wouldn't actually want you to stay with them. And so they regarded the passport number as being a good way of actually tracking individuals and making sure they knew 
who was staying in their hotels. The interesting thing as well though there is that what the hotel needs to do with the passport number varies from country to country, even within the EU. Um, in the UK and a number of other countries, uh, hotels have to take the number, but the only release it if a law enforcement agency asks for the details. Probably quite a sensible reason for keeping the data, I guess. But in Italy, for example, um, when you check into an Italian hotel, your passport number gets automatically transmitted to the law enforcement agencies. Um, you know, it's really not the hotel's choice on whether they take the passport number or not. What I think the Marriott situation may change, though, is wherever they can, and this is the legal reason why they need to, it may well mean that hotels are quicker at deleting your passport number once you're no longer staying at the hotel. So a little bit of background information there, and once we know more on what happens with Marriott in particular, we will of course update you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR Weekly Show. That's always one word, GDPR Weekly Show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. You might remember towards the end of 2018 that in one of our episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show, we talked about the... um, Increased load on GP surgeries from people making data subject access requests, whether it's for themselves or by insurance companies on behalf of individuals, and how much time this was costing GP surgeries, and also the fact that, of course, as with other things, GPs are no longer able to make a charge for providing this information. So where they used to charge, uh, they can no longer do so unless... Um, someone makes a repetitive request or the request is vexatious. Uh, GPs as a body uh, have been lobbying the government to try and get this situation changed because they're saying that the um, increase, which has been around about a third, um, so they're seeing about 33-34% more requests now than they were before GDPR came in, and the fact they can't charge have an effect on their resources. Um, so GPs as a body have been uh, lobbying the government and the government over the Christmas period has come back and the Culture, Media and Sport Minister, Margot James, has said that GPs will not be given the right to charge for patient information requests as it would weaken the rights of patients. I'm sure there's going to be uh, a number of GPs disappointed with that. Um, the one GP, or one MP rather, who's known to be on GP side is Alex Norris, the Labour MP for Nottingham North. However, Ms James is being unmoved by these arguments 
and Ms James has said that the fundamental purpose of the General Data Protection Regulation is to provide individuals with greater protection and control over their personal data, allowing general practices to charge for providing responses to subject access requests would weaken the right of patients. General practices can still charge for repeat or excessive requests made by data subjects and for requests made by third parties such as insurers under the Access to Medical Reports Act 1988. She added that guidance on the right to access has been updated by the Information Commissioner's Office, which indeed it has. Um, but um, GPs are unmoved by this. They're saying that there's two problems with this. One is is that it's a matter of discretion as to whether a request is uh, vexatious or not, or whether it's too frequent or not, because there's actually no fixed periods of time laid down in law at the moment for that. And also that they found that insurers are being rather clever, and rather than the insurer making a request to the GP for information directly, which um, the GP would be able to charge for under the Access to Medical Records Act 1980, 1988. Insurers are writing to their customers, uh, their clients, the people making the claim, asking them to write personally to their GP to get the information because then obviously there's no fee payable. Now, we can... Uh, each our own opinions on the morality of that, but nonetheless there's nothing illegal in what they're doing there. Um, and of course, the insurance company would argue that, well, they need to go to the person to get their consent anyway, so the easiest way of proving consent is get the person to write directly to their GP. And I, as a, as a GDPR practitioner, I can see that argument, and indeed I would probably make that argument for my clients for any of my clients' um, insurance companies. But, it does give an issue. And the other issue which GPs are saying gives them an issue is the fact that under um, GDPR they only have 30 days, the same as everyone else, to respond to those requests. Um, and they're saying that, that you know, it, it's giving them a real issue in providing that information and also often they're having to actually post that information out to the... Uh, patient and they're not allowed to recover the postage costs and that can be significant too so I suspect this one for all that the um, government may wish it's now settled I suspect this one will run and run because I, I think GPs are a strong enough body they're probably going to come back um, but we'll wait and see what happens but an interesting um, ruling there by the uh, Department of Culture, Media and Sport, that GPs cannot charge for providing information under GDPR. Um, so just make you aware of that if you need to do that or if you or any of your employees need to request information from their GP. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. GDPR has led to an increase in the number of data breaches being recorded and I don't think there's any been great surprise in that and one of the first areas of the country to reveal hard figures on that has been 
the area of Suffolk. Um, Suffolk County Council themselves have seen something like a 33% increase in the number of data breaches. Um, Ipswich Borough Council saw their number of breaches rise from 11 in 2017 to 29 in 2018. Uh, Barber and Mid Suffolk uh, saw their breaches rise from 9 to 12 for the same period. Waverley District Council saw their data breaches increase from 2 in 2017 to 17 in 2018. And the Suffolk Coastal District Council saw their data breaches increase two in 2017 to 10 in 2018. Uh, West Suffolk Council, which was previously Forest Heath and St Edmunds, Edmundsbury District Councils, reported eight incidents between January 2017 and November 2018, but they weren't able to break that figure down for us. Um, and so, obviously quite an increase there in number of data breaches actually being recorded. But, as a data GDPR practitioner myself, I would suggest that probably the number of data breaches has not increased that much. I think what's happened, and certainly I would bear this out through experience of our own clients, is that because people now are more aware of what constitutes a data breach, and more aware of when they need to record a data breach in the data breach register, then the number of entries in the data breach register has gone up. And actually, I think that's to be welcomed. I think it shows more openness, more transparency, rather than there necessarily being any underlying concern of there being a massive increase in the number of data breaches. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to get some information from other local authorities as we move on through 2019. But some interesting figures there from from Suffolk to uh, get us started. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk you can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk and I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week everybody and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.